As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Today's episode of 4 to 6 with A&B is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to Robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield, APY, or uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Hey fans, got a pretty cool announcement for you. The Athletic College Football is going to be live in New Orleans for the College Football Playoff National Championship. Join us Saturday, January 11th at the House of Blues, New Orleans for live episodes of The Audible with Bruce and Stu and The Andy Staples Show. Doors open at noon central and the show starts at 1. Both shows will feature interviews with special guests and Q&A sessions with some of the brightest minds in college football. I can tell you that Bruce and I could not be more excited to do this, and special thanks to The Athletic for putting it all together. For tickets, go to theathletic.com slash houseofblues. They're on sale now. Make sure you get your tickets in advance because we are fully expecting the show to sell out. Culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to the latest edition of Four to Six with A and B. I am here in spirit with my co-host Bill Landis, who's in College Park. And I got to be honest, guys. Ever since the Fiesta Bowl, a guy uh, has been ducking me. He doesn't want to see me anymore. 
What do you mean I don't want to see you? You weren't even, you, Have you been back in Columbus since the Fiesta Bowl? I'm in Columbus right now, man. Where are you at? Okay, when did you get there? How long have you been in a Columbus? A few days. Eight hours? No, you haven't. Yeah, I have. One day? When did you get back from Jacksonville? Sunday. Okay, and what's today? Tuesday. That's a few days? Is that not? <laughs> no. No, it's not. I would say that Sunday who's, to Tuesday is an absolute definition of a few days. No, I'm not the one ducking anybody here. <laughs> well, Landis is out in uh, College Park because he wants to keep his job. He's covering Ohio State's basketball team. Um, actually going through a pretty interesting spurt right now. Um, some pretty big quality wins, some weird losses, and Bill's been on top of the whole thing. So uh, I encourage you to read our uh, basketball coverage. But this is a football podcast, and it's been a little bit over a week since uh, the Fiesta Bowl. And, you know, as uh, things go in life, uh, we continue to move forward and Think about the future, and I think that's what we're going to focus on now today, Bill. So, I guess I'll just start this off. Wait, I've got like uh, I've got about forty-five points I'd like to make about officiating, and then I think it would be good for everybody if we just like ran over twelve to fifteen plays that if they would have won Ohio State's way, they could have won. Yeah, and then I have a fifteen-minute bit about recourse for referees and why they're not held accountable. <laughs> yeah, let's. We just mocked that. every other podcast about Ohio State, <laughs> and uh, I'm not mad about it. So. Uh, but, you know, moving forward, because that's what the world does, it keeps spinning. Um, Bill, right now, like in terms of, you know, some of the news that we've just gotten, I was in Jacksonville uh, ducking Bill for the Sean Wade uh, announcement to uh, come back to Ohio State, which I think makes sense now that they explained why, but what's the surprising thing for most people when they when they heard it? Um, and, you know, they've got a defensive coordinator to replace and a recruiting class to finish off, and there, there's things that need to happen here at Ohio State. So I was just wondering, because – you're the big X's and O's guy, and you were going to write a story or did write a story. I can never remember about why Sean Wade was the most important player on their defense last year. What was your take um, in terms of his decision to come back, and how big do you think that's going to be for Ohio State's defense in 2020? Yeah, you know, I can't remember if I ever wrote that story either. I know we've talked about it a few times. I think I actually ended up not writing it um, because I like got halfway through my reporting and then got distracted by something. But... Uh, but I thought it was uh, – it's, it's sort of a moot point, I think, because I don't think Sean Wade's going to play in that position when he comes back next year. I think that – and correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like that was part of the decision-making process here is that he's going to step out of that nickel yeah, the whole where thing. he played so well last year and he's going to play outside. So he was very important to the structure of the defense and what they wanted to do uh, this past season. And it's not to say they're going to do something different now because he's not playing nickel. Um, I, I think it creates an interesting position battle there because I don't know who is going to play that position now that Sean Wade's not going to play it. And, and Amir Reap will be the first person I think that comes to everyone's mind because he was Sean Wade's backup. But Seven Banks and Cam Brown are really talented cornerbacks in their own right. And I think first and foremost in that position, they want a guy who can cover. And Amir Reap is also a corner. He came to Ohio State as a corner out of Cincinnati. So there's there's three guys there. And, and who knows, Ryan Watts as a true freshman might get in that mix too. And Tyree Johnson, I think, could could be too, even though I think he's a little more of a safety than he is a corner. Um, maybe that's a tailor-made spot for him too. So it creates a very interesting position battle at what I think is is maybe the most important position on, on the defense. Sean Wade was important last year, not only because of the, of the position, but because of how talented he is. So that, that's the biggest thing for me in all this, is that Ohio State is getting back a guy who, who I think has first-round talent at cornerback when he could be going to get paid right now. And I know like Ryan Day is going to talk about what that means for the culture of Ohio State and all that's well and good and all that's true. Um, it's a really good football player that, that you know, for all intents and purposes, they probably shouldn't have right now. 
but Sean Wade made the decision that he made, and, and it's obviously a good thing for Ohio State. Yeah, and, and I, I know that he's going to be moving outside, and that was the huge uh, factor in, in this whole decision. But just from the standpoint of returning a player who could say they were the most important person on that defense for another year when he could have been gone, I think is like a that's a that's the equivalent of a one year five star rental. I mean, not only was he a five star recruit when he was a recruit, but now he has what people believe to be a first round talent grade. Um, I'm very curious though. Um, do you do you think that this guy has Jeff Okuda in him? And I know that he played. Uh, his position very well. And, uh, you know, I've been listening to a lot of people discuss Sean Wade and what they think this means for the defense. And, you know, I believe that he's a first-round talent. I actually think that there was a potential that he could have been late first, early second this year if he wanted to test the waters. He did not want to test it. Um, and that's what his family was really big on when I was in his living room um, on Thursday. So um, they wanted to make sure that he came back and he developed and he proved by putting on tape that he could play like Okuda. But, you know, I think what makes Okuda so special, I think, more than anything, is just his length and his like natural ability. And I'm not saying that Sean Wade can't do that, but I'm very curious to see how he transitions and if he can turn into that Jeff Okuda, Denzel Ward, number one unquestionable lockdown corner that he's coming back to prove that he is. And based on his like skill set and his measurables and all the things that, you know, you look on tape when you're when you're breaking this stuff down, do you think Sean Wade, um, body wise, talent wise, experience wise, has what it takes to be that next great first round cornerback for Ohio State's defense? Yeah, I mean I, I think he can be the next great one and the next first round pick. Um I, I think Okuda m- might be the best of all the guys they've had in, in that in that run. Maybe either him or Marshawn Lattimore. Maybe Marshawn Lattimore and, and some of that is, is what Marshawn's done in the NFL creeping in in my analysis. But maybe Sean Wade might be a step below those two guys and, and, and just below. He's he's about the same size as Jeff Okuda. They're both six one, two hundred ish pounds I would guess that that Jeff Okuda is a little longer just by looking at the two of them, but Sean Wade's a pretty big guy, and maybe he doesn't run quite as well as Jeff Okuda, and, and maybe that means he's not going to be quite as on the hip of a guy he's covering like Jeff Okuda seemed to be every single time. Like I, I can't even re- re- recall a time where it's like, oh, man, Jeff Okuda just got beat. Um, didn't happen very much if it happened at all, and and maybe Sean Wade's not that. I, I don't know if he has to be that for, for, this, for him to be – considered successful or for this to be considered the right decision because I think he's in that mold of all these guys who came back or all these guys who went in the first round. So I, I think that that he'll have similar production to all those guys. Um, I also think, you know, and we do this a lot with Ohio State players because they recruit such talented guys. There's a little bit of assumption happening here that that he's just going to be really good at something we've never seen him do before. So I, I have a little bit of pause only because I, I'd like to see him do it. I don't have doubts that, that he'll be good, but you know, I, I I try not to just assume that everyone in Ohio State is going to be awesome at things we've never seen them do before. Yeah, I think that's a the prudent way to go about it. Um, and because like you have morphed into a resident X and X's and O's guy, I'm more like the the bachelor, you know, where I like the drama of things, and you're more the tactical guy. Would you say that's fair? Yes, I do not like the bachelor. <laughs> well, you're a crazy person. But speaking tactically, just because I asked Sean Wade this. <laughs> Um, last week, and I just said, what do you think the biggest difference uh, between the new position and the old position is? And he, he talked about just the the need to be a pure cover guy. Like when he was the nickel guy, it was uh, about coming up and, and making plays in the run game and just his versatility in that, to me, I thought would make him a very attractive NFL candidate. 
um, just because your ability to make plays in the run game is probably something that I would consider being huge in the next level, right? Um, but he said, yeah. and his father told me that based on their, their grades and what they, they got back from the NFL, that they didn't want to, that teams and franchises did not want to pay first round money, um, or top end first round money for a guy who's never put cornerback one film on tape. But what do you think are the number one clear differences in this transition as he tries to make it? Is it as simple as just refining your coverage skills and, making sure that you're able to go one-on-one with the other t- other team's um, top receiver? Or or what is it? Because like, to me, it's just like if you're covering the slot, that's probably the hardest receiver to have to cover, A, because the slot receiver tends to be the one that runs the best routes, the quickest, most ability to get open, and can run the most variation of routes from the spot on the field. Um, yeah. You know, but again, again, you're also not covering T Higgins downfield who's six, five and can jump over anybody. So like right. to you in this long winded Ari Wasserman type question, um, what do you think is the biggest physical difference that you have to make from going from nickel corner to outside uh, boundary corner? Yeah, I don't, it's, it's kind of a funny thing because I, I think if you talk to most defensive backs, they would tell you that what Sean Wade did all of last year is probably more difficult on a snap-to-snap basis than what he's going to be doing next year. And I think you make a good point about the the physical profile of the guys that you match up against outside, guys like T. Higgins and Justin Ross and you know Donovan Peoples-Jones and, and Nico Collins, some of the guys that, that Ohio State saw last year. Big, rangy, physical, fast guys that can really jump and, and battle you for a 50-50 ball. You don't, you don't encounter too many guys like that. On the inside, but Sean Wade has also covered tight ends, and I'm not trying to say that that they've seen tight ends who are on the level of of some of these outside receivers we're talking about. But it's not like Sean Wade hasn't had to contend with size before. I guess it's the combination of all of that that you get an elite, elite outside receivers, and and you know that you, those are not common in college football. Um, but but Ohio State will encounter, I'm sure one or two or three of them in the course of next season, especially if they get back to the playoff. So that's probably the biggest difference, but. You know, Sean Wade's a big kid, and I think we've seen him make some plays against big tight ends and and maybe bigger slot guys that that lead me to believe that like he's not going to lose a fifty fifty battle that against a guy like T Higgins or Justin Ross because I think he can he can deal with the size. I wonder if he can run with guys like that. And I know slot guys are faster, and and short area quickness is different than straight line speed. And I think Sean Wade's got really good short area quickness. That's why he was covering guys in the slot. I don't know if he can backpedal, flip his hips, and run down the field full speed with a guy who's going to run a four three four four, and then try to battle him for a fifty fifty ball. So, so that's the biggest adjustment for him. I was just confused by the NFL's take on if you didn't have cornerback one reps, then we're not going to spend the money on you. I thought the whole point of the NFL draft was to evaluate talent based on what you think their potential is, and I thought that Sean Wade had done enough to be selected in the first round. So I guess that's a that's a good thing for Ohio State to, you know, get him back. But I'm pretty when I flew to Jacksonville, I didn't know for sure what he was going to do. I just thought it was an interesting story because of the targeting and the way his career could have ended. Um, and I encourage you all to go read the story that I wrote from Jacksonville. Um, and he, I think, at this point right now, it's the only place on the internet where you can read his take and you know his viewpoint of the way that things went in the Fiesta Bowl. But you know, I think it's a huge get. And, you know, the next step now is finding the co-defensive coordinator with Greg Madison to, you know, use this uh, this big get and, and get Ohio State's defense back on track. So 
Um, a, who um, do you think is the best fit, which is basically a Kerry Combs question, and uh, what's your take on the whole Kerry Combs to Ohio State rumor mill? I mean, it seems to me like that's the obvious choice, and based on the tea leaves and the way things are, are paying out, play, playing out right now, excuse me, for how long it's taken to fill this position, I think that every day that goes by where there's no news about it is another 5% you know, certainty that I'm having with Kerry Combs because considering the fact that they need another defensive back, they're still trying to keep Cameron Martinez in the fold, um, they're going to need to hire somebody soon, right? And then if they don't, then the reason why is because I think they found their guy and they just are waiting for the playoffs to announce it. So do you agree with that sentiment? And if you do, uh, you know, how do you see this playing out? Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm wondering, you didn't, you didn't get any, like, uh, you know, a little winker and nudge from the waves and you were down there hanging out by the pool? They didn't say, like, hey, man, you know, like, Carrie's coming. I think I might have failed at, at pushing hard <laughs> enough at that. Because, um, like, it's funny, and, and I've, I remember five years or, wait, that's not five, geez, I'm old, eight years ago when I went down to Adolphus Washington's um signing day press conference he goes yeah and urban meyer is going to be the head coach and i was like what (laughs) (laughs) and this was before uh you know this all came out obviously there were rumors and stuff but um i do think that at times that you know people know that are in the circle before obviously that we do and i just think that right now kerry combs and everybody who's involved in this decision is so hush hush about even uttering his name um, I did not get a wink, wink, or nudge, nudge about who it's going to be, but I don't know that I needed it from them. I think everybody's kind of on the same page here. Yeah, like I, I just from asking around um, a few weeks ago before Ohio State even went out to Phoenix, like have a pretty strong reason to believe that that Kerry Combs is the guy that they've wanted all along, and the fact that they haven't hired anybody yet, and the fact that really no other name has emerged as they're looking to fill this spot. Um, since then leads me to believe that like they're just waiting on an answer from Kerry Combs. And I, don't, I don't know if they've gotten an answer from him yet, but I think they're willing to wait. I, I don't think there's so much urgency. I know they're still recruiting Cam Martinez, and I think Sean Wade's return might might give you a little bit more leeway and, and not make you uh, have to go out and find another defensive back because I think they still are light on defensive backs, and, and maybe you, can, you have the luxury now of waiting if Kerry Combs and the Titans – um, I don't even know who they play this week. They play Baltimore this week? Yeah, 10-point dogs. <sighs> I don't know, man. In Tannehill, we trust. I can't believe they beat New England. Um, I thought I thought Kerry Combs would be announced this week because they were going to lose in New England. It didn't happen. So um, I, I don't I don't see the Titans as a team that, that's going to you know make a run here in the NFL playoffs. So maybe it'll be as soon as next week that we hear something on this. But the fact that we haven't heard anything, any other names, um, and again, the, the confidence that I have that, that Combs is the guy that they've, they've won it and Ryan Day has won it from the jump leads me to believe that, that he'll be the guy once he's able to say so. And, and we talked about this in the past, but I think that that's about as big of a slam dunk as you can get um, just considering the situation. Um, everybody turned out to love Jeff Halfley, and he clearly did a good job and made Ohio State's defense the number one defense in the country. And good enough job to get a head coaching job one year into this whole thing. But if everybody remembers the reaction when Combs left. Like the world was on fire. Do you, I mean, it was kind of shocking, wasn't it? Wasn't it yeah. a little shocking? Yeah. Well, yeah. well, we didn't think that. I thought that Ohio State was going to be his forever job. Um, so when he left, I was like, "Wow, that's crazy." Um, and it was shocking because he had recruited that 2017 class that made Ohio State so good this year. Um, and what I think they had six defensive backs in the top 70 in that class, and that was all Kerry Combs. 
and then it was one of these thoughts of, oh my God, how is Ohio State going to prevail without Kerry Combs? Which is the same thought process that you know the fans give every time a good assistant leaves. It happened when Jeff Halfley left. Um, but for him to come back into the fold, a guy with Cincinnati high school ties, a guy who has worked at Ohio State for you know six years before leaving for the NFL, um, a guy now who has NFL playoff experience and who knows how this run will end. Maybe by the end of it, he'll have Super Bowl experience if they can win a few more games. Um, and not to mention that his passion and love for the state of Ohio. Um, I don't know, man. I just like to me. A guy with NFL experience who understands the way the college game works with Ohio State roots, who has been clearly successful in developing first-round NFL talent at the college. I don't know that you could come up with a better candidate. If you would, if you would have told Ohio State fans, or if he just would have never left, like Ohio State fans love Kerry Combs. They think he's the the best defensive backs coach Ohio State can have. He's a great recruiter. He's a dynamic guy, and like now he's a better coach because he was in the NFL for a couple of years and and. And what did Jeff Halfley say? Like he was getting a graduate degree degree in football when he was coaching in the NFL for the few years he was in the NFL. Like Kerry Combs just did the same thing. Like if you loved them before, you should love them even more now because in theory he's a better coach. So I agree with you. I, I don't – I mean maybe there's a, a younger guy or a more outside-of-the-box kind of guy maybe that Ryan Day could have hired. Um, and and I, there are pitfalls I think sometimes with just hiring the most obvious person you can think of. I don't. I don't view it that way in this case. I, I think the obvious choice in this case was the right choice if it's Kerry Combs. Yeah, I mean, sometimes going away from the obvious choice is the dumbest thing you can do, um, and I think that, that would be the case right now. Um, but there's a difference between being secondary coach and a defensive coordinator. And do you think that the NFL stint that he did, assuming that he comes, um, was what made him qualified for that job? Because I'm assuming that part of the reason why he left Ohio State to begin with is because. He didn't want to get pigeonholed as a defensive backs coach for the rest of his life, and he wanted to move on and you know maybe be in a situation where he was considered for the Cincinnati job when that opened. And you know, just in terms of just building resume bullet points and continuing on to progress um, in this field, I know he's got white hair and people view him as an old guy, but I know that he doesn't view himself that way. He certainly doesn't act like it. Um, is this somebody who now is qualified to call a defense with Greg Madison because? of this NFL stint, or do you think it's more of a Ohio State realized what they had with him to begin with, and this is somebody they should never should have never let go in the first place? Or maybe a combination of both. Yeah, it's probably a little bit of both. Um, I, I think it, it uh, you know, diversity of experience, I think, makes you a better coordinator in the end. Like, Jeff Halfley had never called plays. Um, and Frank, like, the, here's the thing we don't know. We don't know if he called plays at Ohio State. I, like, and we've never gotten a straight answer on this. It's my opinion from watching them play and the way they play defense that Greg Madison calls the plays, and I think that will happen next year. And he does that in concert with everybody, and it's collaborative. I'm not trying to say it's the Greg Madison show, but I don't I, I, like the fact that Kerry Combs has never been quote-unquote a defensive play caller is not that big of a deal to me because he's coming into a situation with a guy like Greg Madison who's called defensive plays for like 30 years. So um, I, I, I think that it's okay to have a little bit of, of an experience in that regard. But the title is important for him as he wants to progress in his career, and I'm sure he still wants to be uh, a head coach. And you know, I don't, I don't think he really ever hit that point when he was here at Ohio State, and, and obviously it had to be a good job for him. It probably has to be in a Midwest Ohio job just with you know who he is and, and where he's had experience. And if he felt like he wasn't going to get a coordinator shot at Ohio State, or at least it was going to take him a couple of years, it was probably the right move for his career trajectory to go to the NFL and get some different kind of experience and something on his resume that's not just college defensive backs coach. Um, but I thought he could have been, you know, they could have elevated him to coordinator before he left um, because coordinator does not mean like you're calling all the shots and it's your defense. Um, 
So, but but I do think he's a little more ready for it now, I guess, because he has had that NFL experience. Some some more diverse coverages has seen probably more offense than than he would have seen if he would have just stayed in the Big Ten. Yeah, and the whole core co coordinator thing um, is in part, but because of title, but in part because it's a team effort. And I like the idea that Ryan Day wants to have a co coordinator because in situations like this. You know, they lost Jeff Halfley, but you can still feel good about returning Greg Madison into that role next year. And then whoever they uh, bring into the fold um, can also complement that. But I think he made a comment, and, you know, you're aware of this, and I think everybody's aware that Ryan Day said he likes to have, like, an older, more experienced person in one position and then a younger future thinker um, in the same position so they can work together and balance each other out. Do you consider it um okay for Ohio State to have two older coordinators um, on the defensive side of the ball now or do you think it's better to have a mix the way they had last year with Halfley and Madison I like I like diversity in sort of all forms it comes in so you know racial diversity age diversity so you have people who might think a little differently than, than others and then and diversity of experience too so I guess it's a little different because Kerry Combs is what probably 15 years older than Jeff Halfley is, but he's still also 15 years younger than Greg Madison is. So they are two older guys, but, but Greg Madison is, is somewhat significantly older than, than Kerry Combs. So it's not, if you know, if what Ryan Day said last year about, I want an older guy and a younger guy, this doesn't quite fit that bill, but it's also not totally off base. Um, what, what I like more than, I guess, whatever the age of these guys are, is, is their experience at, at multiple levels of football. And like Kerry Combs has got it in high school, college, NFL now. He, he's got it all. He, there's, there's nothing he hasn't seen. Um, so like I said, he's a better coach now, and Greg Madison has, has been successful in both college and the NFL. You have Al Washington on the defensive staff who's, who's a younger guy. So I think that helps. Matt Barnes is still around, and he's a younger guy too. So if everyone on the staff was 50, 60 years old, I think I'd feel a little worse about it than I do right now. But I still think they have a pretty good balance if, if having different ages and different life experiences on your coaching staff is something that's important to you. Kerry Combs has seen everything. I wonder if he's seen Rocky. <sighs> I don't think he's missing anything. <laughs> uh just a reminder, everybody, this is 4 to 6 with A and B. I'm Ari Wasserman. That lovely, velvety voice that you're hearing on the other end is Bill Landis. Uh, thank you so much for continuing to listen to our podcast. I think it's steadily growing and steadily heading in the right direction, and we want to thank you for that. Um, as always, uh, please rate, review, subscribe uh, wherever you're listening or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, on Apple, leave a wonderful review because um, we love reading them because a lot of them make us laugh. And, two, of course, it helps us uh, with our cachet and our continued efforts and growth. Um, also look out for the audible extra this week with, uh, Bruce Feldman and Stuart Mandel. Jeff Halfley will be their guest from new Orleans. Um, and I think that'll be an interesting show to listen to. I'm going to listen to it. Bill, are you going to listen to it? I always listen to the audible and all of the podcasts on the athletic network company, man. But yes, I will listen to that. That sounds cool. Yeah. Halfley's a really good talker. He's always interesting. Um, I enjoy talking to him in Phoenix and, um, to, I still have a story to pitch, but I want to get up to Boston and do something up there too with him. Hopefully he'll still let me now that he's big time. Um, Are you guys going to watch the Departed together? We're going to watch the Departed together and talk about shopping at TJ Maxx. Um, but now that brings us now to the next part of the show, and I want to do a little uh, 2020 prediction time. What do you Hold think on, wait. That, before, before we do that, there was another coaching uh, change that we didn't hit on. Oh, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Okay, so you're Sitch. Um, Corey Dennis, and I'm an idiot for forgetting this, but um, it's kind of a bold move, Bill. Um, 
Yurcich was somebody that I think you connected with pretty well right when he first got here, um, just in terms of philosophical discussions and, um, you know, just kind of getting to know the guy. Um, I think you knew him a lot better than I did. Um, what was your take on, A, what he brought to this offense this year, even though we know that Ryan Day had a heavy thumbprint? And, you know, he just Ryan Day did so many brilliant things this year from an offensive standpoint. I don't know if you noticed this um, when re-watching the game, but there was one point in time where Ohio State went up to the line and then did that thing where they looked back to the sideline yeah. to call a play. You know what I'm talking about? Then ran the quarterback sneak. And then ran the quarterback sneak. <laughs> well, the, the, I thought that, that just like little stuff like that is just awesome. I didn't like, notice that about, watching the game live. I remember thinking to myself, like, man, all those guys were standing when they snapped the ball. I didn't realize that Ryan Day had It was a fake out. Yeah. And, like, when we talk about wrinkles and vision and, you know, it's like quarterback sneaks work when half the defense is still standing up. Well, quarterback sneaks work because of that actual awesome wrinkle they put in. Because I didn't really notice why they were standing either. And then you go back and you watch the, the tape. He designed it to get them standing up. And I just, like, it's a little bit of a tangent, but, like, when we talk about you're not using talent as an advantage and trying to exploit defenses and, and putting in new wrinkles to you know, keep defenses off balance. I think Ryan Day did a phenomenal job of that this year. I thought that he did better than Urban Meyer at it this year, uh, much better. Because uh, yeah. I don't remember even seeing little wrinkles like that when Urban Meyer was the head coach the last few years. And I'm not saying they didn't design an offense and try to stay you know, ahead of the time. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But I just felt like this year they did a lot better job of exploiting defenses. Um, how much of that was... Mike Yursich, Um, or did you think that the quarterback development and what we saw from Justin Fields was more in his purview, um, just based on your understanding of the way things went? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Mike Yursich deserves some credit. It's it's kind of an interesting situation, and you know, I, I did talk with Mike Yursich a little bit when he first got hired, just sort of about his path to coming to Ohio State, and he basically gave up a position as a play caller at Oklahoma State to come to Ohio State. And, and not be a play caller and, and kind of be like third wheel in, in the offensive mechanism behind Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson. And, and he did all that not getting a very big raise. I think his raise was like $100,000 or $150,000. So it wasn't a money move per se. Like he got a raise, obviously, and, and $150,000 isn't nothing. But if, for everything that he told me and from what I um, – learned is is that he was coming basically to to take the next step in his career learn a little more offense i think from kevin day and ryan wilson or ryan day and kevin wilson and then move on whenever that time came and i didn't didn't think it'd be now because he was also coming quote unquote home to ohio um he's from uh euclid northeast ohio guy so i was a little surprised that he left i know there's some stuff out there about like personality fits and and to be perfectly honest like i didn't talk with mike yurcich a ton but he did have a little bit of a different personality, I think. I think he was like a little aloof at times, and, and that's okay. Like, you can be that way and still be a good coach, and, and obviously he's I'm a aloof job. all the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like he was a quarterback's coach, and Justin Fields is the Heisman Trophy finalist, so, and, like, the passing game was good. So I don't really know if you can look at anything that happened on the field and fault Mike Yersich for that. I, if there's not a personality fit on the staff, there's not a personality fit. Um, but he also, like, doubled his salary to go to Texas. I think Texas is paying him $1.7 million to go be the offensive coordinator and play caller there, and he was making $900,000 at Ohio State. So my opinion is that like that was the biggest thing here. Like Ohio State wasn't going to pay Mike Yersich that kind of money to stick around. And if there was something going on behind the scenes where like maybe everyone just wasn't meshing together on a coaching staff, then like all like whatever, go go get your almost $2 million to go call plays for Tom Herman and good luck. Like I think that's the biggest thing here that's like doesn't get talked about. There was some stuff like Ryan Day was begging him to come back and like 
Other people will tell you, Ryan Day was pushing him out the door. The guy doubled his salary. I think that's probably the deciding factor in the end of this. So I thought he did an okay job here. I, I, the offense will be fine moving on without him. And I, I think the hiring Corey Dennis is a pretty inexperienced guy to be the quarterback's coach is is an interesting move. Um, you know, he's Urban Meyer's son-in-law and recent history of Ohio State coaches getting promoted because of like familial connections is, is troublesome. I'm not saying that, that, that Corey Dennis is going to go down that road, but the optics of it probably aren't great for some people. I think it mostly it's a smart hire for Ryan Day because he is the de facto quarterbacks coach and Corey Dennis has learned under him for a couple of years now and there's not going to be any disconnect there. He's basically just an extension of Ryan Day and I don't think he's going to mind it all that much if Ryan Day steps in and coaches the quarterbacks. Can I go on a family guy, you know, what grinds my gears rant real quick? Sure. What grinds my gears is when somebody leaves um, and they are viewed as somebody in the recruiting world and in the uh, fan world as somebody who's been ultra successful um, that they are like congr- they're not congratulated but it's like oh my god how are we going to do this uh, without him whenever that person takes a job that is clearly a promotion like assistant to head coach I think everybody can understand that but then there's this sort of lateral movement and not from a salary standpoint but being the offensive coordinator at Texas I think would be a, a little step up to call the plays and to double your salary I and mean, it's a step up would you call that a promotion uh, because of the money involved, yeah. I don't know. Like You're still going to work for a head coach who is a play caller, and for as much as he says he's going to give it up, I don't believe him. So um, it's, yeah, I guess if you throw the money into the equation, you can view it as a step up, but otherwise I don't know if I would. Well, if it's a lateral movement, I think it's a step up because of the salary. Yeah. Uh, but when fans can't understand it, that's when all this shit comes out of, oh, he's a bad personality or uh, he it's good, good riddance, and it's like there's like this vitriol towards it you know and it just like he's just the person who took a job that he thought was better for his family and like i don't know why you know some hires are met with oh good luck we'll love you forever and you know i don't know how we're gonna you know move forward without you and other hires are met with you know these sort of takeaways that i also like could there have been some personality issues i don't know maybe who knows people are people you never know sometimes you and i argue i mean it happens but like just the natural perception of moves based on like what fans would prefer to see and then how that person is described after the fact and the inconsistency of that just kind of annoys me. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. it's it's annoying to me as well. The, the one thing I'll say about it, and I guess we can move on after that, is like the, the, some of the stuff that came out was like that, that Mike Yersich's role wasn't fulfilling for him. Like If he didn't have an understanding of what this was going to be, coming into a program where Ryan Day, former quarterbacks coach and play caller, is now the head coach, and Kevin Wilson is still around and is like Ryan Day's right-hand man, and Mike Yersich thought he was going to come here and like be an equal, um, that was never going to happen, and anybody with a brain could have told him that wasn't going to happen. So if he misinterpreted that or thought that he could change it and then in the end wasn't happy about it, that's on him. But his consolation prize is $1.7 million, so you don't feel bad for him. Yeah, $1.7 million, and I guess Ellinger's coming back. He had a... Uh decision video i didn't know there was a decision to be made but uh there was a video yeah this feels a little bit like uh i don't know i don't like they have hudson card coming in right i know hudson card's a true freshman i guess you'd rather have sam ellinger than a true freshman starting but this feels a little a little jt-ish to me yeah ohio state uh (laughs) recruited that kid that's a like travis kid right am i thinking of that correctly yeah Yeah, he was he was the kid who took over from Matt baldwin yeah so um yeah but to me 
I think being the offensive coordinator at Texas and being the quarterback coach at Ohio State are very similar jobs. If you can get $1.7 million and to go back to a country and a conference that you're familiar with, even though he's from the Northeast Ohio region and this is technically home, I understand the move, and I don't think that his departure should be met with, he has a weird personality and good riddance, you suck. You know, because that's just not fair. Um, can I tell you something? Yeah. If, uh, if I like working with you, if someone offers me $1.7 million to not work with you, I'm going to say yes. And then I'm going to spread rumors about how we had a personality conflict. <laughs> that guy was an asshole. That guy's an asshole. Oh. Well, I mean, you are an asshole, but I, I love you asshole. for it. Yeah, I'd rather be a rich asshole uh, than any other any other way. But the Corey Dennis thing, I know that nepotism and isn't been a uh, met with wonderful results here at Ohio State because of what happened with Zach Smith, and I know that that is something that. It's kind of a tough thing to even say out loud because people just don't want to hear it. Um, and, of course, Corey Dennis is not Zach Smith, and associating with him is just irresponsible. But, you know, the idea of his relationship with Urban Meyer and some of the way some fans view Urban Meyer, do you think that that was something that even had to be discussed in terms of whether this was the right move, or do you think it's so completely different that it's not even an issue? Yeah, I don't know how much Ohio State um, concerns itself with optics um, because, and it's not even it's not even Zach Smith. Like it's Bill Davis too. Like Bill, Urban Meyer hired his best man, and it was a disaster. Um, and he hired like Greg Schiano was good when he started here, and that was a hire made largely off personal connections with Urban Meyer too. And a lot of like Ryan Day hired you know Al Washington because of personal connections. Not to say that every time you hire somebody because you have a personal relationship with them and, and Jeff Hafley, um, and that it's going to go poorly. Um, it's just it's just this is a little different because it's. I think people wonder whether or not Corey Dennis deserves a shot. And, you know, I, I'll give the guy a chance. We'll see. I don't know if he doesn't, he doesn't. But but the quarterbacks love him. Every quarterback we've talked to the last two or three years loves Corey Dennis. Um, and, and Corey uh, has coached receivers and he's coached quarterbacks at Ohio State. He's been there for, I think, five years now. Um, it's not a bad thing to learn how to coach football from Urban Meyer and Ryan Day. So, you know, we'll see what Corey Dennis becomes. I'm just, I'm not going to assume he's going to be bad at his job because you think Ryan Day should have hired somebody more established. Um, I think for the most part, Ohio State fans are, are, are fairly happy with the hire. Um, and I don't really know why they wouldn't be. I, I didn't see much of like, I can't believe Ryan Day promoted that guy from, from Ohio State fans when it was uh, reported that it would be Corey Dennis. But um, I actually think he'll be okay. Like he was going to be Colorado State's quarterbacks coach. And and um, I don't. I guess at the time they didn't think that Mike Gersich was going to leave. But then as soon as Mike Gersich left, it was like Corey Dennis is the guy, and like there was no hesitation about it. So um, I think it's interesting. I don't know if it's going to work. I think it's a pretty low risk thing because of Ryan Day's presence on the coaching staff, and, and he's the guy that can step in and coach quarterbacks whenever he wants. The one thing I'll say is he's been affiliated with this program and has been at Ohio State for long enough where I think you know what you're getting. Like, regardless of his relationship with Urban Meyer, I think it's pretty clear uh, how much time he's spent with Ryan Day and how many times uh, he's been successful in at least working with Ohio State quarterbacks and how many hours he's spent in that room. I think you go into this higher knowing exactly what you're getting with a plan to execute. And if you're the coach and you're Ryan Day, you think, this is exactly how I want this thing to look. And by promoting this person, this is exactly what I'm going to get. And I think you can go into this hire with more clarity than any of the hires that you just mentioned with Urban Meyer. I know that Billy Davis was his best man. I know that Greg Schiano was a close personal friend. And, you know, for the most part, except for his final year, I think the Greg Schiano hire was a successful one. But when you go into a hire, there's always some sort of 
um, unknown about that, regardless of how well you know that person or whether you worked with him 10 years ago or wherever that relationship spawned from. They know exactly what they're getting and who they're getting and how he works and what his personality is and everything that there is to know about Corey Dennis. And if that hire was made, I trust that hire more than I would if they just hired some random quarterback coach from the Baltimore Ravens. Because I just think that they know. And does that make sense? Like just the idea of familiarity? Yeah, I think so. I, I think so. And I, I, you know, Ryan Day is a pretty smart guy. I think he he is, he was around to see what happens when you make hires for the wrong reasons. So like I, I think he's aware of that as he makes this decision. And, and if he had any pause about whether or not this was the right move, I don't think he would have done it. And maybe that's trusting Ryan Day too much. I have no idea. But but I think you're right. I think he has a pretty good idea of who this guy is. Um, as and his cap- I'm, I'm talking capabilities as a coach here. That's all I'm talking about. I think he has a pretty good idea of, of what Corey Dennis is um, and, and maybe what he will become because that's the other part of this too. Like Corey Dennis is what, 20, was he 27? I don't, he, he graduated from Georgia Tech in 2014. So this is a guy who's under 30 years old and now he, he's the quarterbacks coach at Ohio State and Ohio State's quarterbacks and offense, as long as Ryan Day is around, is going to be pretty damn good and Corey Dennis is going to get credit for that. So like this guy, I, I don't know where it's going to take him but in terms of first full-time assistant jobs for a guy that's his age, I don't know if it can get really any better than this. I've been begging Corey Dennis for five years to let me do one specific story, um, and I'm hoping that I'll be able to do it now. Do you think you have less of a chance or more of a chance now because he's in this position? More? Yeah, I think you might too. Can I say what the story is? <laughs> I think it's funny. Yeah, go ahead. I it's want like, yeah, an in-depth <laughs> breakdown of what it was like the first time he ate dinner with Urban Meyer as <laughs> Urban Meyer's daughter's boyfriend. Yeah. I, I think that's a 30 yeah. I think that's a 30% chance at going huge. I would just love to know what Urban like we know like uh, obviously it's Urban's family. Um we know Urban's personality type. I just want to know what yeah, what kind of dad is he when when her, when his daughters bring home a date? Yeah. Like how yeah. territorial was he? Was it like a meet the parents situation? Like, or is it I, like, uh, is it like I bad think boys just, too when Reggie comes to the door? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just think that like the idea of Urban Meyer is famous, and Urban Meyer is who he is, and Corey Dennis knew who he was long before he ever met Nikki. Uh, and sometimes I just like want to know like he's he's intimidating enough as a human to be around just yeah. in general because of just how he is like as a person. Uh, I can only imagine what it'd be like to like be the boyfriend that his daughter brought home you know and now he's part of the family and he's all past that but like what was date one like oh you're just some jackass wide receiver on georgia tech's football team and now you're coming over with my daughter like i can only imagine it and i want to call urban i want to call him i want to talk to everybody i want to talk to nikki were their nerves (laughs) like wouldn't that just be amazing (laughs) and if anybody else writes that i will murder you i actually uh i've contacted uh Corey about that and I've already got four sources for the story. It's running next week. But I just I, I hope that, that that happens. Um so I think this is a nice segue. Did I forget anything else, Bill? Or uh can no, we move we on can to move the last on, portion of the podcast? The part, no. Big oversight by me, but thank you, uh, my esteemed colleague, for keeping me in check always. Um big predictions for twenty twenty one. Um and a lot of us at the athletic college football vertical twenty twenty. Sorry, recruiting class is twenty twenty one. You get it. Um and there he goes again, keeping me in check. Um, that's kind of something that we're all doing for all of our teams, 10 predictions for the 2020 season. And I've already written out a few, and I want to discuss a few of them before this runs uh, this week. So um, my first one is Ohio State is going to make the college football playoff again next year. Go. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, they're the best team in the Big Ten. Like, they got to go at Oregon and at Penn State is tough. And, you know, I, I think you should feel reasonably confident that, that Ohio State could win both those games. But, you know, we've seen what's happened at Beaver Stadium before. And I've never been to Alton Stadium, but I think they call it the zoo for a reason. So uh, those are really tough road games that Ohio State has to contend with. Otherwise, you know, it's a very manageable schedule. Their crossovers from the West are, are fairly easy. I think it's uh, Iowa at home, uh, Nebraska at home, and, and at Illinois. So that's certainly manageable. And then the rest of the Big Ten slate and, and the rest of the non-conference slate is not all that daunting. So as long as you can I, – I basically, as long as you can position yourself to still be in a Big Ten championship game, which it basically comes down to whether or not you win at Penn State – and don't have two losses, then then I think you're right. So, I mean, I'm going to say that every year, basically. I agree. I mean, Ohio State went two seasons without making a college football playoff uh, before making the Final Four again this year, but the Buckeyes broke through in a big way this season. Um, and I don't know that with the talent that they've lost um, that they haven't con- they won't continue to break through. I mean, the roster is returning a lot of talent that's got that got three minutes away from beating Clemson and then making the national championship game. So, like. When you're in a position like this and you get Sean Wade back, um, I think you're in a very good position. I also think that playing at Oregon is a very awesome thing to have on your schedule uh, in terms of just the committee and the discussion because you could, in theory, lose that football game and still run the table and make the playoff. You know, and there is some risk in those scenarios. Oregon actually was the poster child for scheduling the Auburn game and losing that game and that being the game that kept them out of the playoff this year, um, but. Well, they lost. The I also Oregon, think that Arizona when you, State, right? Yeah, they also lost Arizona State on the road. But if they didn't, if they would have played um, Portland State or whatever, you know, some FCS school or some overmatched opponent in the place of Auburn, they would have been a one-loss Pac-12 champ with a blowout win over Utah at the end of the year. I think they would have been the number four team over Oklahoma and. I think you can make the real argument that Oregon was just a better football team than Oklahoma was this year anyway. And the only reason why they didn't get a chance to, to play and maybe have a better game with LSU than Oklahoma was is because they lost a close game that they basically blew, uh, if you remember the Auburn game um, at the beginning of the year. So, But I'm always going to be in favor of big-time non-conference uh, matchups. I think when you win them, it, it gives you a nice little head start. Um, and you know it can forgive another loss later on. And if that's your only loss, and um, you can be rewarded for playing those games anyway. So that is prediction number one. I like that prediction. I think they um, part of the discussion isn't so much about whether they Ohio State won the national championship this year, Bill. It's about whether or not the program has situated itself back into the top three of the conversation. And I think in what they accomplished this year, they've done that. But in order to maintain that, they've got to do it again. Because if they miss the playoff next year and then Justin Fields is gone, then all of a sudden you're back in that same position they were before the season started. As a team that, you know, hasn't made the playoff for, you know, a year um, and is replacing their entire offense. I mean, with the, the offense Ohio State's returning next year, they should be awesome offensively. You get Sean Wade on the back. You know, you've got some offensive linemen to replace. You've got the nickel corner to replace. And, you know, All the obviously you got to figure out a way to, uh, you know, replace Chase Young and do something to keep the pass rush in check. But on paper right now, and we'll get to our depth chart for the 2020 season here in the next week, um, I think Ohio State is one of the best teams in the country coming back. Yeah, I think they could have. You know, I don't know. I, I, I guess Spencer Rattler is going to be the quarterback at Oklahoma, and who knows what LSU is going to do at quarterback. And and two is gone. Like Ohio State should have the best offense in the country next year, in my opinion. I know we don't know who their running back is going to be yet, but with Justin Fields back and, and experience and having a year with Ryan Day and 
the offensive line returning Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, and Thayer Munford while adding, you know, in theory, two more five-star prospects to the starting mix there. All the depth and, and explosiveness and athleticism they're going to have at receiver, even though they will be a little inexperienced. Like, and all the tight ends are back, minus Rashad Berry. Um, I, there's no reason that Ohio State shouldn't have the best offense in the country next year, you know, provided that everyone stays healthy. Uh, number two, Justin's going to win the Heisman Trophy. Mm. What's that clapping noise you're making? Yeah, I mean, he'll be the favorite, right? He'll be the favorite. Either him or Trevor Lawrence will be the favorites, I guess, yep. right? So maybe they'll maybe they'll have the same odds. I guess that would make the most sense. Um, I think I buy that. I, I think I buy that. I think it's – I'm always a little hesitant when – a young guy comes out of nowhere to win and then returns, and like the expectations are so high that it's almost impossible to meet them. Um, I guess it helps that Justin Fields, like Justin Fields, is a finalist, but I would feel a little better about him getting back there and having a chance to win it because I don't know that the expectations will be so outsized because he didn't win it. So I think I agree with you. And the other piece of it is too that I think their quarterback depth will be a little better that might make Ryan Day a little more willing to run Justin Fields, too. So, yeah, I think I can foresee a season where he has, again, 50-something touchdowns, but probably adds some more rushing yards. The only thing that will work against them, and like we'll see how it plays out, is, if, like, is he going to play in the second half next year? Because if he doesn't, then I don't, like, I don't think he can win it. Yeah, I mean, I think he got uh, to be a finalist this year without playing a ton in the second half. And I think they were very careful with him because of the lack of depth at quarterback. Um, so that plays a part of it. And when you have C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller coming into the program, I think you might be in that developmental backup stage where you have a competition going on in the background, but you're also developing guys that, you know, by and large should supposedly be good enough to not be a complete disaster if they had to play. Um, and I think that might lend more aggressiveness with the quarterback. Plus, I think he's going to be better. I think Ohio State's schedule sets up for numbers. And the way that Justin Fields' offense is built around him I think he's more conducive to putting up the monster numbers during a regular season, even more so than Trevor Lawrence, just because of his running ability. And I think if Ohio State gets back to the playoff next year and he takes that next step that we're all expecting them to, him to take just physically, because um, you got to remember in the back end of the year he was you know injured. So, I mean, if he's healthy and he takes the next step physically, I think there's a chance that um, he will uh, break through and win the trophy. Because Ohio State's had a lot of candidates – they had two finalists. J.K. Dobbins maybe should have been in New York, too. Um, I think that they're finally going to break through and actually get a winner. Yeah, I just don't know. Like, the thing is, like, how often how often is a guy that you think coming into the year will win actually win it? Yeah, I mean, maybe there's a Johnny football that will fall out of the sky. Or Joe Burrow. Um, or Joe Burrow. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I think that it sets up perfectly for him. Will he win it? I mean, I guess he'll be probably a five or six to one dog like everybody else is at the beginning of the year to do it. So, I mean, it's not an easy thing to predict, but I think he's in a uniquely advantageous position at this point in his career to win the trophy. Um, and it's just a matter of, you know, if Ohio State loses games they shouldn't, then he won't. So, you know, there's results in football games and things that need to happen in order for him to play himself into that. But I think based on the way the schedule sets up, the team he has around him, the offense, with those crazy receivers that they're going to have, um, I think that he has a chance to put up numbers and be successful in a big way, and that's usually what it's all about. Um, three, Kerry Combs will return. I know we already talked about this, um, but I guess just your two-sentence breakdown of whether or not you think he's coming. 
Yeah, I do. I think if he, I think if he wasn't, we would know by now, and they would be looking at other people, and there'd be some other names out there. The, the fact that there are no names out there at the moment leads me to believe that he'll be the guy. I agree. Um, four, one quarterback will transfer out of Ohio State before the beginning of the twenty twenty one year. Of the scholarship guys, yeah, no way. I don't think so. What will be the point? Before the 2021 season. Sorry, not the year. Bef- so, oh, before 2021, someone will transfer out? Yeah. Like coming, like after spring, you mean? When it, it's yeah, right. The, yeah. Uh, hmm. You know what? I think I think not. I think maybe not. I, go, I, I, I understand what you're saying. And like once C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller go through the spring of 2021 and, and it's apparent that one of them might have the leg up, maybe the other guy would leave. I, in that situation, like we talked a lot about Ryan Day owing an answer, or not Ryan Day, Urban Meyer owing an answer to Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow was graduating. Um, I don't think that he owes those guys an answer coming out of the spring, so I don't think he'll give them one. I think he will encourage them to come back in that summer and compete for the starting job leading into the 2021 season. So I, I, think, I think I disagree with that one. Yeah, I guess there's two ways of writing it. I guess in, in 2020 um, – the year 2020 will come and go with both those guys still on the roster, but the 2021 season, um, I guess well, the prediction would be that in the year 2020, Ohio State will maintain all their scholarship quarterbacks, but the 2021 year I think will be very interesting. I think both Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud and Kyle McCord will all be on the roster for 2021. Interesting. You're making me want to rethink that. Hmm. I do think it's going to be the biggest uh, position battle on the team. Yeah, next for sure. I mean, even more starts, so than it starts starters. this spring. It's like a, it's it's the most interesting thing on the offense. I think there the interesting things on the offense in the spring are like can Paris Johnson win a starting job? Who's going to be the running back? And like the back the battle to replace Justin Fields is on. Like those are the three things. Okay, well, you just scooped me on my on the last one we're going to do because I don't want to give up the whole list. But will Paris Johnson be a freshman starter on the offensive line in twenty twenty? Uh, no. Like I'm tempted to say yes, but no. I think I think I think Nick Petit Frere will will have that job. The only the only way Thayer Munford like was not himself all year, and I think needs some time off. Just felt like he had his, his back surgery, and I think he had some lower leg stuff going on too. Um, he needs to recuperate, and I think Paris Johnson will get a lot of opportunity in the spring because of that. And I guess that means there's an opening there for Paris Johnson to just like blow everyone's mind with the way he plays in his first spring. Um, but it's not a need as long as Thayer Munford and Nick Petit Frere are healthy. So I'll, I'll say no because you know Paris Johnson and Nick Petit Frere are pretty similarly rated guys coming out of high school. And, and Paris Johnson's a freak, and you watch him play. He moves really well. He probably moves a little bit better than Nick, but um, Nick's, Nick will be in his third year. I think it makes sense. That trajectory makes sense to me to become a starter. So so I'll say Munford is healthy and Nick Petit wins the job, but I'm it's close. I think it's a, I think it's a good uh, question to pose going into, going into the next season. You know, I, I think that if Paris Johnson is a starter, that something went wrong. Yes, like Michael Jordan starting. 2016 and Michael Jordan was a low-end four-star and Paris Johnson's the number one tackle in the country but so is Nick Petit I mean and 
if uh, if another five star prospect who's been in the program for going on his third year gets hopped by a true freshman, then that, in my opinion, is a direct issue with something with Nick. And yeah. I don't think Ohio State wants to go down that road. I think that if you follow the plan, Ohio State wants Nick Petit Freer to be the starter this year. Um, is that the right way to look at it? I think that is the plan. And like, if it's not if it's not how it works out, and your starter is a potential generational tackle talent like Paris Johnson, it's not the worst thing in the world. But it's better when things go according to plan. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Should I do one more, or should we wrap it up? Let's uh, wrap it up. Or no, let's do one more. Make up your mind, Bill. Sorry, I was looking at the time. Yeah. Let's do one more. Okay. Okay, one more. Baron Browning will be Ohio State's full-time starter at middle linebacker next year. Disagree. Because I think he'll be their full-time starter at will linebacker next year. Actually, I don't even know if I think that. I don't think he'll be the full-time starter at middle linebacker. I think middle linebacker will be a rotation of Tough Borling and Taraja Mitchell, and I think Baron Browning will play where Malik Harrison was this past, the past couple seasons while also mixing in some more as an edge rusher. Yeah, you think he's going to get down on the line? I don't, think he'll put his, I don't think he'll put his hand to the ground, but I think he'll be – like he, was on, he had a sack against Clemson where he was on the end and Chase Young was actually inside next to him. Um, I think you'll see a little bit more of that from Baron Browning. Okay, that's it. I don't want to give any more away. Okay. Bill? Oh, what? you know, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you. Yes. What is on the feed bag in, in uh, D.C. Uh, when you're out there? <laughs> what, what, are we, what are the meals out there, bud? Come on. Uh, and, don't, and don't sugarcoat it either. Usually, usually, usually at Maryland basketball games, it's Chick-fil-A, um, yep. which is a pretty good media meal. But I might... Uh, this hotel, there's like a there's like a Longhorn around here somewhere, and I think there's an Outback, and there's also an IKEA, so maybe I can go get, get some uh, pregame Swedish meatballs. I've um, never had those before, but, but everybody pr- raves about them. What's so good about them? Uh, that's the sauce. It's, I don't even know what it's called. I want to say Legionnaires, but that's not what it is. <laughs> it's it's something that begins with an L. Um, but I, yeah, they're pretty good. I, IKEA's got sneaky good food. Yeah, it's like go build your own furniture and carry everything out manually on yourself. And when you exhaust yourself from walking around a store for six hours wanting to run into oncoming traffic, you can have some Swedish meatballs on the way out. I'm just there for the hot dogs and the Swedish fish. So you go right into the place. You don't follow the little uh, yellow brick road. You just take a hard left and head over to the cafeteria. Yes, I'm not there <laughs> to buy furniture. I'm there to eat. Have you actually ever gone to IKEA for lunch? No. But I think oh, people okay. do do that. I think people do that. People do go to IKEA. Where are you going to lunch today? IKEA. IKEA. You know, maybe you, you get a meatball, get a thing of meatballs, and you leave with a chair. Yeah, that's you know would be a really good food question. I'm not going to put you on the spot right now, but a really good food question would be: What is the best place to eat lunch where the destination of that place isn't food? Oh, some of these movie theaters are doing a pretty good job with their menus now. Yeah. Costco's on that list too, right? Costco, yeah. Yep. I'm trying to think of other contenders. All right, I want you to think on that, and that'll be the entire hook of our podcast next week. Sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. All right, guys, thanks so much. That was another edition of 4 to 6 with A&B. That was Bill Landis. I am Ari Wasserman. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.